Well, good morning and welcome to EV Brief Podcast. And uh, today we're joined by Dan Bleakley, whose videos of coal miners in Teslas have been uh, doing the rounds on the internet uh, recently. Dan, th- thanks so much for joining me today. Great. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. Well, look, your videos showing everyday Aussies uh, experiencing a Tesla for the first time have gone uh, global. Can you tell us a little bit about the concept behind coal miners in Teslas? Um, yeah, so I've, I've been a, a climate activist for a couple of years. My, my background's in engineering, and I grew up in a, a small um, mining town in central Queensland. And um, yeah, I've been an EV owner for two years. I have a, a Tesla Model 3 Performance. And I, a few weeks ago, I was coming up to my hometown for a holiday to, to visit family. And um, my brother, he, he works at a coal mine and, and took the car um, over to work for a week and he took some of his mates for a drive and um, filmed filmed their reactions mm-hmm. and we posted it online and um, kind of went viral and then we thought wow you know we're we could be onto something really good here and um, yeah now we're up to about 21 episodes where we basically um, take regular Aussies coal miners or, or you know people in regional Australia for for their first drive of a high-performance electric vehicle. And uh, and Bob Catter, the man himself, uh, for those who don't know, he's a pretty, he's an outspoken uh, politician who's quite famous for some of his gaffes and some of the things he said. But I liked how the fact that, I like the fact that you just, uh, you let him drive it and it wasn't about pushing a, a political point or an agenda. It's just about experiencing the technology. Yeah, exactly. Um, my friend uh, who I'm staying with in, in Mackay, he suggested um, trying to get Bob Catter to to take it for a drive. So put a tweet out um, a few days later and, and said, um, you know, if, if Bob's keen for a drive, I'll, I'll, I'll dead set drive it from Claremont up to Charters Towers to, to, to let him have a go. And yeah, his staff reached out to me a few days later and, um, and, and we made it happen. So um, yeah, Claremont, from Claremont to Charters Towers is about 370 kilometres. Yep. Um, and I got there. I didn't have a full charge when I left. Um, I got there with about 13 kilometers left on the on the battery and then mm-hmm. uh, charged it overnight just with the cable running into my hotel room. Um, but yeah, um, Bob was fantastic. I spent about three hours with him and he, he really loved the car. Um, and you can tell that from the from the videos. And um, yeah, I think it, it opened up the space um, for conversations about other um, clean tech opportunities um, for Australia. Yeah, and that's the brilliant thing behind what you've created, I think, because a lot of people, myself included, in the EV space and clean tech space, you get caught up in in the policy and the technical stuff, but sometimes you just got to show people what the technology can do and um, and how it can change things, don't you? And this is exactly what you've done. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. You know, putting, they say, it's all about bums in seats and yeah. it's, it's so true. It's, it's like if, if you try to explain to someone what it's like to ride a roller coaster, they're, they're never going to truly understand what it feels like until they actually do it. And it's the same with, um, it's the same with a, you know, fast accelerating electric vehicle as, as well. You can, you can try to write about it or, or speak about it as much as you, as much as you can, but you're not going to effectively communicate how good it is until until you put people in into the car, um, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 really 
it's it's really opened my eyes um, as, as far as the opportunities that that this now could could bring uh, for the for the electric vehicle movement. Yeah, totally. I think this this kind of advocacy space is is big with EVs, and as you say, it's about bums in seats. Um, tell us a little bit about your trip up there. Like, how far did you travel in the in the Model Three to get back to your hometown? Yeah, so I I live in Melbourne now, um, and so yeah, I drove from Melbourne up to Claremont, and the drive was fantastic. I was stopping at the Tesla supercharging stations the whole way. Yeah. Um. All well, all the way up to to Gympie. Yeah. Um, which is just north of Brisbane. That's where the last Tesla supercharging station is. Um, and yeah, I don't know how many of your listeners are Tesla owners, but it, when you type in on the screen, when you type in your destination, it routes you through all the charging stations. Yep. So it was really, e- really easy. You know, it told me to stop here for 20 minutes, here for 35 minutes, etc. cetera. Um, so that was totally fine. And then once I got north of Gympie, um, I started using the Chargebox uh, stations, mm. uh, which were also great. I just downloaded the app, and yeah, I think even in Mackay, there's a Chargebox station here, and yeah, it only costs 20, 20 cents a kilowatt hour. So for my Model Three that has a 75 kilowatt hour battery pack, you could fully charge it for 15 bucks. 15 bucks, and, yeah, wow. And that'll get you 400, you know, 460 to 500 k's for 15 bucks. So it's even at at a charging station it's super cheap yeah um, and then and then yeah out in claremont um i was just charging it at my brother's place with the with the cable um which overnight you get you know 120 140 k's overnight so it was fine that's the sort of thing we're trying to demonstrate to a lot of people you can literally just plug it in anywhere um getting permission obviously if you're in a public place or in a private place but um you can plug these cars in uh, absolutely anywhere um, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting what you're doing going back to these, going back to Claremont in the region that's obviously full of mining and uh, and resources because you know, mining companies, as you know, are transitioning to renewables, um, transitioning to electric vehicles because they see it makes good business sense, uh, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, yeah, I've I've heard that a, a lot of mining operations are um, starting to install. Um, solar arrays and and to to use renewable energy etc as well and it's probably just a purely financial decision now because uh, they you know th- that's where the technology is it's it's cheaper it's becoming cheaper than much cheaper than coal um so yeah it's 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 great to see and um all that stuff also it just mm. generates more and more conversation so let's talk a little bit about uh, the climate crisis, Dan. You've uh, been a climate activist um, for a few years now, you mentioned. Um, Australia's been putting off its international climate obligations since Kyoto, since 1997. Um, we're pretty clear on the Liberal Party's policies of obfuscation and, and sort of smoke and mirrors, but is the Labor Party any better? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, Jonathan. Like, as, as an activist, you're, you're always looking to, for ways to communicate your your message but also um a big part of it is understanding the political landscape and you know what is driving decisions in in australia um you know australia has the worst climate policy in the world and now that we're seeing joe biden and 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 the us um indicating that they're going to move very rapidly on climate australia is almost isolated on our lack of our ambition um to tackle the, the climate crisis and ramp up renewables and, and EVs. And 
you know, I've been following this for many years now. And mm. um, I think one of the big obstacles is that the major parties take donations from the fossil fuel industry. And that's the big problem for the Labor Party. Um, the Labor Party takes donations from Santos, Woodside, Chevron, um, and a number of other oil, oil and gas uh, companies. Now, electric vehicles are a direct threat to the profits of, of the oil industry. So if you've got Chevron, Woodside and Santos donating to the Labor Party, um, you know, we call them donations, but really they're, they're bribes. They want something in return for that money. Right, um, right. So they're not doing it the, for charity. It's, uh, it's, it's quid pro quo, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and what they, the, the EV revolution is a threat to these companies' profits. So, you know, Labor, the, the big problem that the Labor Party has is that um, they're trying to, they're, they're saying that they're going to fight climate change on, on one hand, but then they're taking donations with, with the other hand from, from fossil fuel industry. So unless Labor can, can stop um, taking these donations from fossil fuel industry, I don't think they can be taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of business and a lot of um, sort of primary production and resources uh, sector businesses want to transition, but you do need clear policy. You need policy certainty and leadership, don't you, to actually help the transition to renewables. I mean, no one's saying we're going to stop digging up coal and stop uh, extracting gas tomorrow, but we do need to have a plan forward in this country, don't we, to actually transition that's right. My, my brother's a coal miner. He works yeah. at, at a coal mine in, in central Queensland. And um, we were interviewed for a 730 report, which aired a couple of mm. nights ago. And my, my brother and his friends, um, generally the younger, the younger generation that he, he works with, they want to see a plan. They want to see um, what comes next uh, because they understand that the, the coal industry is not sustainable. And so um, my, my brother works for a coal mine because he mm. needs to support his family. Yep. But he, if he hadn't, if he had an alternative, he would take it because, you know, he, he gets it. Um, so I think that when you have um, people like Matt Canavan from the, nationals or um joel fitzgibbon from the labor party um saying that they are uh, supporting coal workers um by supporting the coal industry that that is a a complete lie they are not the, joel fitzgibbon is not working in the interests of coal miners mm. if he was he would be advocating for um massive investment into clean technologies in, in the regions, in the Hunter Valley and in central Queensland. Uh, he would be advocating for um, ramping up uh, manufacturing of batteries or yep. refining of, of, of um, the minerals that go into batteries. Um, but he's not. And the reason that he's not is because Joel Fitzgibbon does not represent coal miners. He yep. represents the billionaires who own the coal mines. Yeah. Um, that's that's the difference. And the coal miners are being used as a political pawn 
um, in this in this game. And, th and that's the irony, all this talk from some of these politicians about uh, saving coal mining jobs and gas jobs. They're not actually thinking about the workers because it's the workers like your brother who are risking their lives and their health to actually dig up these materials for us and for the world. Um, and no one is actually thinking about their health and their future, are they? Exactly, exactly. You know, if, if Joel Fitzgibbon actually cared about the coal the coal workers, the, the people who work in this industry, he would be doing everything in his power to ensure that they had sustainable, clean tech jobs to go yes. to yes. Um, as the coal industry phases out. It's really frustrating because I see tweets from both Fitzgibbon and Canavan about how be beautiful it is flying into their electorates where they see coal mines and that sort of thing. Um, and yet, you know, you, you, I think there was, a, there was a report on 7.30 um, a few months ago about uh, the Hunter Valley and the health effects with numerous doctors being interviewed about the, the thick coal dust that's blanketing these towns around these coal mines and the health implications of, uh, of this, um, this fossil fuel. Yeah, it's it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible stuff. And and you know, um, we we have to acknowledge and and in a lot of ways thank um, coal workers for for their hard work over the decades to to get our society to where it is. Um, but there are now um, alternatives. The technology is there. It's been there for a long time. Yeah. It just needs to be um, basically built and installed. There's no, um, there's no technology that needs to be developed. It needs to be deployed. Now. That's, that's right. Um, yeah. yeah. So the only thing that's holding it back is the established money and power that's in the fossil fuel industry that's in Canberra. Mm -hmm. It's not the workers. The, the, the workers are keen to, to step into the new world. Yep, yep. I mean, we saw uh, Keith Pitt, the resources minister, the other week. He couldn't even use the, the deadly B word, which was battery, in a Sky News interview. So there's not much hope uh, from, from this current government. But we've seen in Germany in the 70s and 80s, the writing was on the wall, and they put the cash on the table to transition um, resources workers into clean technology, didn't they? Uh, and money is probably as cheap as it's ever going to be at the moment for the Australian government to, to use and to borrow. So what do you think we need to do in terms of investment here to start transitioning people out of these sectors? Yeah, I think Germany is a fantastic example. Mm. I, um, I used to live in Germany. I was an exchange yep. student uh, 20 years ago and um, I was blown away driving along the Autobahn and seeing wind farms and, you know, at, at that stage, Germany had a policy of um, anyone who put solar panels on their roof, if they could sell it into the grid for four times what it would cost to buy it. So everyone was buying solar and they really ramped it up early on. And they also um, worked with the coal miners um, in their coal region to, to transition and it was a collaborative it was a collaborative thing. There wasn't this climate war that we have here in Australia where you know, the, the media and the Liberal Party and the National Party have done everything they can to divide us, uh, to, to drive a wedge between um, people who work in the fossil fuel industry and the rest of the country to, to, mm. to make, make us kind of attacking, attack each other. That's all been generated from vested interests. Um, and I think we could learn a lot from Germany and, and how they've um, managed to transition 
their, their coal industry workers into into new clean technology. And to answer your question, like I think the best way to do it is to is to really sell the sell the future. To say so, traditional activism is about saying you know stop. We need we need to stop doing this. And and yeah, that's really important. You know. I've got so much respect for people who are chaining themselves onto machinery yeah, in, in, in Tasmania. I think that those people are heroes and mm. more people should, should do it. Um, I'm also a big fan of, of um, Extinction Rebellion and the, the things that they've been doing in cities around Australia. When it comes to the regions, we have to get out there and talk to people and tell them about the, the incredible opportunities um, that, uh, that, present themselves with with the clean tech revolution yeah because that 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 has not been effectively communicated to to people in the regions and that's where you know doing things like taking electric cars to country towns and just letting people drive them that's probably one of the best things you can possibly do to articulate how good the future is 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 going to be right and this is the thing i think so much uh so much conversation and media gets caught up in the the big picture issues which are obviously important we need to focus on the local issues too so things like the experience of an ev um, understanding what you can achieve with solar on your own home and also considering uh, local emissions and things like that as well yeah absolutely and i i think the 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 interesting thing is um with a lot of these regional towns, the the only media that they get, so say say for for Queensland, I think I think a hundred percent of the newspapers sold in Queensland are owned by News Corp. Uh huh. <laughs> if and if News Corp has been saying for twenty years that electric vehicles are garbage and they're no good and and putting all this misinformation, then people aren't getting the facts. They're not getting the truth about. EVs. Mm -hmm. So to counter that, all we've got really, you and I, we don't own massive media organizations. Well, hopefully one day EV brief will be really massive. Thanks, but Dan. <laughs> at the moment, we, we, don't, <laughs> we don't have this huge no. media conglomerate to, to get our message out. So the only way we can do that is through grassroots word of mouth. So, yep. you know, going out, um, you know, I've taken hundreds of people for, for a drive in, in my EV. And I know that in the, the coal miners that I've taken for a drive, I know that in their crib room chats, when they go to work, they're talking about Tesla. They're talking about how amazing yeah. that, that yeah. ride was. They're sharing the videos. It's generating conversation at the grassroots level. And then that conversation, then it's like, oh, if, 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 if these guys read an article that's, that's kind of dissing EVs in the newspaper, then they'll be like, actually, that's, that's bullshit. You know, that, and I've experienced, yeah, I've, I've driven one, I've experienced. Yeah. And yeah. you've, you've had, uh, is it 20 or 23 um, people in your, in your web series now? So if you consider how many people they're talking to on a daily basis, you've, you've potentially affected uh, hundreds, if not thousands. Um. Yeah, that's right. We're up to episode 21. 21. Yeah, it's only been, been going for about a month. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, ultimately, the, what I'd love to happen with this project is other EV owners to copy what I'm doing. That's, yep. that's really the, the big game. If, if tens or hundreds or a thousand other EV op, um, owners literally just 
copy what I'm doing, take their friends and family, perhaps go out to the regions, talk to people. That's the that's where how we'll really um, grow this thing exponentially. Yeah, education is key. I think you're right. Um, you know, I know it's not quite the same as what you're doing, but whenever I'm plugged into a, a charger here in the city, um, I always answer questions when people come up to me. When when I had a Kia Nero EV last week in the driveway, and every single person who walked past and saw the plug in the front of the car wanted to know about it and what was going on, and they were astounded that. You can just plug a car into a regular 240-volt outlet. So it is the advocacy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I have that same experience whenever yeah. I'm at a charging station. You have people coming up. They're curious. They want to they learn. I, I was outside Byron Bay on the way up and mm. um, I was at a charging station. It was a small town. And these two older guys uh, came over and they were having a look around. And um, I said, oh, do you want to come for a drive? And they were like, oh, good yeah. On you. So we, <laughs> for a drive and i let them both have a drive of it as well and they were just beaming they they left absolutely loving it and i know for sure you know when they had a drink with their mates at the pub on that, that weekend i'm sure they would they would have been talking about it yeah um here last week in Mackay, episode 19 um the guy's name's reen so i was driving down um main street of Mackay, two lanes and this guy on a motorbike comes up beside me <laughs> and there's like looking in, looking in at the screen and kind of curious. And so I knocked, I knocked the, um, my Tesla into autonomous mode. And then I waved at him with both hands and he gave me the thumbs up. So I wound the window down and I said, Oh, do you want to come for a drive? And <laughs> we went around the corner, had a chat and then we arranged to have a drive later that day. That's awesome. And, um, he's a coal miner. He, he works as a boilermaker at a coal mine in the region. And um, yeah, his name's Reen. It's episode 19. And we had a great chat. And um, that just came from driving down the street and meeting a you know random person. So everything, everything you do is about the advocacy. <laughs> and this is, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 full, it's, it's full. It's basically where I'm at now is, you know, I, it's, it's like total act, activism, total act advocacy. So mm. every opportunity is an every discussion is an opportunity to 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 talk about um evs to talk about clean tech in, yeah. in the future because this is bigger than tesla isn't it you know there are, there are so many manufacturers who are going towards um a zero emissions uh, model fleet and have committed to doing that by 2030 2035 um we need to push the boundaries on on all our transportation and things like public transport as well i think before we started recording you mentioned um studies in the US about emissions from school buses. And it's just, it's outrageous that school kids are having to breathe in particulate matter from diesel buses, isn't it, when there are alternatives? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and that was, a, there was a study done in the US. I think they looked at over 20,000 school kids um, who, who ride these big yellow diesel buses to school. And they have on average a six point lower IQ than, than kids who, who aren't exposed to this stuff every day you know it we, no one's talking about this issue that the, the yeah. exposure to diesel particulate and carbon monoxide is making us all sicker and and dumber like our society is dumber and sicker because we're all breathing this stuff in um every single day and buses buses is another huge opportunity it's mm. it's, it's low hanging it's low hanging, hanging fruit, fruit. Um, yeah, like China has had over 500,000 electric buses on the road for like two years now. Mm. 
mm. and and we've got we've got um, uh, politicians in New South Wales and in Victoria who are bragging about having a trial bus, like one trial bus or two trial buses. Oh, it, look, it's Victoria. four. It's four in New South Wales. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that as well. I, I forget the, the minister's name um, who was who, who announced that. But when I saw yeah. that, I was like, come on. And and the Victorian one, they announced a three-year trial. I mean, what do you need a trial for? Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's buy, let's you know, ramp it let's up just now. Just do it. Get these... Just do it. I, I live next door to a, in Melbourne. I'm like a block away from a bus depot. Right. They're all diesel buses. This disgusting black exhaust comes out of them. I walk out onto my um, balcony. You wipe your finger on your balcony and mm. it's just covered in black. Stuff. Oh, it's the same That's in the city of Sydney. Our yeah. Lungs. yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, in, in New South Wales' defence, they have committed to electrifying the full uh, 8,000 strong bus fleet, which is great. Um, I, I sort of visited the depot at the beginning of the trial. It was really interesting to see what they were doing. And they were, they were just obviously making sure that the proof of concept uh, works with these electric buses and that um, they do work for the, they're fit for purpose, basically. And the trial showed that they're well and truly fit for purpose. You know, they're covering their routes with 35, 40% of range left returning to the depot, you know. So range is not yeah. an issue with this technology. Um, and they're even looking at... Um, uh, even looking at renewables on site and batteries to power these buses uh, off peak. So there's there's definitely a lot of potential there. Um, but I think sort of linking it all back to what you're talking about before, just quickly um, about uh, regional areas and buses and things, it's actually, it's a social uh, equality and, and a sort of health issue, isn't it? Because it's, it's the less wealthy, it's the marginalised communities, whether it's here or the US, um, who are affected by pollution, isn't it? They're the ones who have to work in coal mines. They're the ones who have to um, catch the buses to school. They don't have air filtration. They don't have private transport. So we need to move to clean energy um, to actually create an equal society, don't we? Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's really well said, Jonathan. I agree with that 100%. A bit long-winded, sorry, but, you know, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, totally. It is a, absolutely an equality issue. Like, people people don't have a choice as to the, the quality of air that's in their community. And yeah. um, if they're living next to a major road in a city, then they're being exposed to harmful levels of diesel particulate. And mm. that's not right. And if, if there was no other alternative, then perhaps you could somehow justify it, but there is an alternative. We know that, you know, the technology has been there for a long time. And we have to, especially on things like the public transport and, and buses, we have to keep the pressure on our state governments to roll this out, roll out electric buses as fast as possible because they're going to resist that. Because if you think about the, the contracts for supplying diesel for public transport must be massive. You know, there must be billions of dollars worth of diesel contracts from pri private private companies supplying diesel to to even public public transport mm. so there are vested interests that don't want to see this transition take place um you know a few people at the top of the tree may make hundreds of millions or billions of dollars yeah. resisting it we, we have to we have to maintain the pressure and and demand that 
our state governments um, accelerate the transition to electrified transport. Yeah, because public transport and heavy vehicles, they, um, they're responsible for a huge proportion of emissions in Australia, aren't they? And I guess, I guess the electrification of commercial vehicles, that's a whole other uh, story too that we should cover sometime. But um, I think it's just, in some ways it's good that uh, public transport has been privatised to a degree in Australia because the thing about electric vehicles is they mean lower operating costs for, for companies. And if you've got a company like Transit Systems that's, that's, uh, that is concerned about its bottom line, EVs are making sense these days. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, if if it can be driven through through the numbers like that, then that's that's fantastic. Um, uh, if it's if it's driven economically, that's that's great. But at the same time, we we have to really still articulate the the these health massive health problems. Of course, our society our society is just going to be so much better once we get off fossil fuels. I know in Norway, um, the air in Oslo today is 30% cleaner than what it was 10 years ago because they've had a um, strong electric vehicle policy. And, you know, as a result, Norwegians are, the Norwegian citizens are all benefiting from that policy. They're, they're benefiting with their health, um, you know, cleaner air and also more peaceful, more peaceful, quiet streets as well. And Norway, like Australia, is a, is a country that has been addicted to uh, fossil fuels in the past, uh, but they have actually strategically used that revenue to actually improve the society, haven't they, through their sovereign wealth funds, whereas we're kind of, uh, we're kind of letting our uh, resources profits just go to the, uh, to the big multinationals. Yeah, that's right. Norway, um, so the Norwegian government in the early 90s started taxing their oil industry at 78% of their wow. profits. And they've been doing that for 30 years. And, and that has now built um, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is worth around 1.3 trillion. It's mm. the largest wealth fund in, in the world. Mm. And basically, in the 90s, the Norwegian people said, those are our resources. The companies are still getting 22% of the profits. So 22% of a lot is still, still a lot. lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those companies are still making a, a killing and there's still, it hasn't you know, decimated the industry or anything, but it has enabled Norwegian people to take control of those industries so that the, the industry doesn't co-opt government, which is what has happened in Australia. Yeah. Um, something like 70% of the profits in our resource industry end up going offshore. Um, fossil fuel industry has massive influence over the Australian government through lobbyists and, and, and all the rest of it. So yeah, it's a big problem. That yeah, I mean, it, it's basically, it's, it's criminal when you consider those numbers, isn't it? Even, a, even an additional 10 or 15% of that revenue kept by the Australian government for taxpayers could fund hospitals, you know, up the wazoo, couldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, Kevin Rudd tried bringing in the resource tax and what happened was um, the, the resource uh, sector well, it was mainly Gina Reinhart and Andrew Forrest. They mm. put millions of dollars into a fear campaign an advertising mm. fear campaign. They, they paid PR companies and advertising companies to yep. scare people. Um, through through these ads and scared, you know, basically told lies and scared people, saying that, you know, the tax would decimate the industry, and yeah. it just wasn't true. Um, and and yeah, again, we Australian people have been 
sold a lie and we've missed out on tens of billions of, of dollars in additional revenue. So just to wrap things up today, Dan, what do you think the average Australian can do, um, you know, the average person who's con concerned about climate change, who wants to make a difference? Is it all about advocacy um, where, where they see fit and where they can make change on a local level? Yeah, I think there's, there's so many different things that people can do. For, for me, you know, I was interested in climate change for 20 years, but I didn't really get involved heavily until the last few years. <clears throat> so um, when I joined um, Extinction Rebellion and, and other climate advocacy groups, I all of a sudden found a lot of other people who wanted to see change as much as I did. And that was really empowering for me. And then I met a lot of people through the network and learnt about a lot of other groups, etc. So I'd really encourage people to get involved in either their local um, climate change um, advocacy groups. Extinction Rebellion is a fantastic organisation. Um, you don't need to glue yourself or chain yourself to things. There's a lot of other things you can do in Extinction Rebellion that don't involve that. Mm -hmm. um, and beyond that, it, it's all about having conversations. Um, I think electric vehicles is just a really fascinating space because we are at the very beginning of an electric vehicle revolution. So those people out there who own EVs right now are uh, some of the very first people in this revolution. It's, it's, it would be like owning a Model T Ford when they first well, came out. Everyone was on horses. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's how EV owners are today. Yeah. And the electric vehicle revolution, it will only happen once. And so the people at the beginning of it who can help drive it, literally drive it, um, um, you know, I'll look back decades from now and I'll be, you know, proud of the, the, the advocacy that I've done now. And, and hopefully a lot of other EV owners, you know, can, can, can do the same and, and help us accelerate this, this change. Well, you definitely should be proud of the work you've done, Dan. Uh, well, look, thanks so much for your time today and keep up the great work. Great. Thanks very much, Jonathan. I really appreciate the chat. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap on our conversation with Daniel Bleakley. He is a passionate advocate for zero emissions transport and an activist in the best sense of the word. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Do make sure to check out Daniel's YouTube account, Coal Miners Driving Teslas. We'll have a link below, as well as a link to his Patreon. Please share this episode if you enjoyed it, and head over to evbrief.com to stay up to date with the latest EV news and reviews. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm Jonathan McFeed, and you've been listening to EV Brief. Thank you.